Pulp MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I wanna say. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Fly Racing, Blends All Racing Motor Oil, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, and Pro Glow. Welcome to the Industry Seating Podcast. My name is Jason Thomas. I am your host. It is Sunday, January 30th, and we are on the backside of Anaheim 2. And I was in California all week. I stayed back after San Diego, enjoyed the really nice weather, 70 degrees every day, sunny. And we lost the sun for Saturday's race in Anaheim 2, but it was still just a beautiful afternoon for racing. Got a little chilly at night, as it often does at Anaheim, but it was still fine. The track was good. I thought they did a good job with the moisture, even though it did get a little hard pack and slippery in some areas. I thought overall they did a great job with uh, maintaining moisture in the track, and it's not going to get any easier over the next uh, couple of weeks to to keep it tacky as they have another monster jam, and it sits in there for you know another 10 or 12 days of just you know having that sun on top of it. So we'll see what the track brings us in a couple weeks. Do you want to thank the sponsors of this podcast? Could not do it without them. Pirelli Tires, check out that range of MX32 mid-soft mini tires. Plum Creek Funding, reach out to Zach Morris, see how you can get that credit score up because if you are in the market to buy or uh, refinance, not so much, but buy for sure, you're going to want to make sure that credit score is, is at the top of the range because, yeah, interest rates are going up. It's going to get tougher and loans are going to get a little bit more uh, difficult to attain. So you want to make sure you have all your ducks in a row. Guts Racing. GutsRacing.com, get some custom graphics made. Maybe you want to put your small business under graphics. Maybe you want to uh, create something cool on your own. You can get that RJ Wide Wing seat they have. Fast Foundry, get your small business. Get your Maybe you have a big business. Maybe you work at a company and you're in charge of uh, IT. Maybe you're in charge of marketing. Fast Foundry can improve your company's efficiency. Reach out to them and see what they can do for you today. Works Connection, use a promo code JT21, use that Pro Launch Start device to, uh, to get good starts. They won, again, Christian Craig out there winning races, and uh, I believe that the Pro Launch Start device is a big reason why those guys get good starts. I uh, also want to thank ProGlow, uh, use the promo code MOTO15, we will do the ProGlow question of the week later in the show. Grant Stone Boots, and of course, as always, Fly Racing is uh, you know my day job. Uh, love everything they do and they all the opportunities they provide for me. So the 250 class, what did we see? Well, we kind of saw more of the same, you know, if we're being honest. I did think Christian Craig took another step towards, uh, you know, kind of quieting the detractors. And there are detractors out there. Don't, don't fool yourself. Uh, you know, for a rider like Christian Craig, who has gone through so much adversity over the years and has really never gotten over the hump, he hasn't been able to get that championship. You know, he's 
He's won races. He's always shown blazing speed and just incredible talent. But when it comes to the putting the entire package together and sealing the deal, he hasn't been able to do it. And keep in mind, you know, he's been around a long time. You know, I think he made his pro debut at the end of 2008. So we're on, you know, we're on season 13, going on 14 for Christian Craig being around. And, and he would be quick to defend the fact that he's been hurt a lot. He took a couple years off, it kind of retired, went to work for his father-in-law's uh, construction company. So it, w- it wasn't just this continuous barrage of racing, but still, he is, he's a veteran of this class. Uh, even though he doesn't have the total number of races that maybe that age would indicate, he's been around a long time, and I, I really believe that he needs to get it done. This is the year. You know, everything has lined up for him. You took out his main two competitors in Colt Nichols and Jet Lawrence due to injury. And, you know, Michael Moseman, who is one of his biggest competitors, has been inconsistent to start the year. And then I think Hunter Lawrence is leaving the door open with bad starts and an inability to get up there and really challenge. So, you know, if you look back over time and you look at past champions, you could always point to reasons why they were able to get it done, whether it was just pure dominance, whether it was circumstances really making your life a little bit easier, was it your competitors getting injured, right? There are always these factors that are attributable to a championship. And I think if Christian Craig is able to get it done, we will be very easily able to ascertain why. And you don't want to let opportunity pass you by. You can't do it, right? You know, I look back on the 2009 450 motocross season, you know, Chad Reed was always up against the likes of Carmichael and Stewart and Villapoto and all these legends of the sport. That 2009 motocross season was his opportunity, right? If, if he was ever going to get it done, everything lined up for him in 09. Alessi was, was really on his game, got hurt. Villapoto was really on his game, got hurt, right? There were just so many things that were there and able for him to, to get this champion, that championship done. And that's kind of how I feel about Christian Craig's season right now. Everything's aligned. The stars are aligned. You have to take advantage of it. And he did that, right? That's the most important thing. He overcame adversity at San Diego, was able to still get a podium. He overcomes adversity with a huge crash on Friday at the track. You know, there's, it's all over Instagram. I'm sure most of you have seen it. Comes back. He has another crash in practice on Saturday. Still gets the win done. He has to pass Michael Moseman on his way to victory. Has to deal with Vince Freezy and, on, and all the, the difficulties we know at it, that come along with passing Vince Freezy. But he still got it done. That's, that, in the end, is the key point. Whatever obstacle has been thrown at him this year, he's been able to get it done. So I was happy to see it. I think he is making the most of this chance. And uh, yeah, I, I like him. He's a family guy. I don't, you know, I think he handles situations the right way. He's respectful. You don't see him stepping out of line or doing things that you're just shaking your head at. And uh, that's kind of how I like to go about my day-to-day business too. So uh, his personality kind of resonates with me and I like to see him do well. So good for him. You know, obviously not done, right? He's probably halfway halfway there. We're four rounds in, um, but I think he's doing a great job so far. Michael Moseman, 
I mean, he's just 1% off, right? He rode an incredible race. You know, he almost backed up his San Diego win with another win. Wasn't quite able to get it, get there. Christian Craig was a little bit better, but that's nothing to be upset about. It's just in the end, if you look back and you're not the champion, it's nights like that. It's nights like A1 where you crash. You had these, these races where it just didn't work out. You're going to be able to point to and say, that's why, that's why I'm not champion is because of those nights. And then just straight up, he just wasn't quite as good as Christian Craig. He, he wasn't. Uh, he is steadily improving, though. And that's really important to note. He is getting better and better. You're seeing the mistakes start to dissipate, right? And that was, that's been the, the real problem over the last few years is his racing has been mistake-prone nonstop. It just, you know, and, and it was almost week in and week out. There were mistakes you could point to that really limited his success. Those are, those are going away. You're not seeing that anymore, especially the last couple of weeks. So if he can sustain that and make the mistake-free racing the more likely scenario, he's going to have a really bright future ahead of him. Let's just leave it there. Hunter Lawrence just wasn't his day or his night. He, he didn't qualify well. He was like in that 5-6 range of qualifying. He didn't look great. Uh, I was kind of texting in some of our group texts like he just doesn't look like he's feeling it, you know, for lack of a better term. And then you watch him in, in the main event. He really struggled to do anything with Vince Freezy. You know, and Vince ended up going down. I do think Hunter would have passed him. I, I do believe he would have passed him. But, I mean, he was barely better than Vince. And that's not a knock on Vince at all. Vince was riding incredibly well. Easily his best, you know, race racing of the, of the year so far. But I hold Hunter Lawrence in a higher esteem than I do Vince Freezy. So Hunter ended up on the podium. He gets third place. You know, all is not lost by any means. I just don't think he had a great Saturday. He just didn't look like he was really on his game. So he's still there. He's still in championship contention, but he's going to have to have significantly better form than that if he wants to wrestle this championship away from Christian Craig. Joe Shimoda, I mean, he gets a fourth. Wasn't terrible. It wasn't great. You know, and, and it would be really hard for anyone to point to this season and say it hasn't been a disappointment. I just don't even know how you could say that with a straight face, that it has not been disappointing. I think most people had him as a lock to be a top three week in and week out guy. Some people were pointing at him for a championship. I was not. I, I didn't have him there, but I did have him as a steady, consistent podium threat. And he doesn't have a podium yet. So I don't know what to make of it. He did look better this weekend, so maybe that's the start of something. Uh, he, he, and he looked better all day. That, that's, a good, that's a good step. But again, overall, this season has been a disappointment, period, full stop. Uh, Freezy, I kind of touched on, is the last note I had in the 250 class. I do think he deserves credit. Um, I am not a fan of Vince Freezy. I, we've never gotten along. I respect him off the motorcycle. I think he's a pretty nice guy, but on the motorcycle, that's where it stops. I just don't like the way he races. I didn't like racing against him. I don't think many people do like racing him. So um, I want to make that clear. I don't want to be uh, you know, wishy-washy on him. I, I will stick to my opinion, but I do think he deserves credit for how well he was riding. He was, he was, 
he was hauling ass, for lack of a better term. Um, and good for him, good for his improvement. Um, I just don't like the way he goes about blocking and, and aggressive riding and all that stuff. So I hope he's okay. That was a nasty crash and impact and all that stuff. And, and even though I'm not a huge fan, I was, I was worried for him, man. That's a, that's a big impact to your head. And anytime somebody takes a hit like that to your head, yeah, you worry about him. So seems like he's okay. And, uh, hopefully he'll be back for, uh, for Glendale and the triple crown event there. Last note, Craig's in control, right? Anything can happen in the series as we've seen like that crash on Friday. Craig could be out for the year right there, right? That silly press day crash could have ended Craig's year. It didn't, but we get lulled to sleep by thinking what we've seen, we will continue to see. That doesn't have to happen. One stupid crash, a practice crash during the week, a chain could snap. Anything can happen in this sport and completely derail, for you know, pardon the pun, what we expect to see. You know, it's not just going to week in and week out. You know, it's not a, it's, I'm trying to think of the right cliche here, but just because things have happened a certain way doesn't mean they will continue to. Uh, things happen, people crash, bikes break, guys get nervous as pressure mounts, all those things can happen, but it feels like Christian Craig is in firm control of this thing so far. So for new listeners, uh, in the 450 class, I do a power rankings, and I always preface this each week because people email me and they get upset that you know they disagree with the power rankings, and that's fine. It's just, it's just one person's opinion. I try to take a very big-picture approach with some short-term influence on the power rankings too, right? So it's kind of a blend of big-picture you know, last year, this year, the year before, are they a, you know, established elite of the sport and weigh that, but also how have they been looking lately? How is their short-term trend affecting their overall, you know, view or my overall view of them as a racer and where they are uh, in the sport? So that's kind of how I come to it. I end up writing out the top 10 and then I move them around. I, I will make changes and adjustments and then I'll look at it one final time and if everything looks reasonable like if I can if I can make a case or justify why each guy is in a certain spot which I do uh then then I'm happy with it so a few changes this week I have Aaron Plessinger at number 10 and I don't have an answer of why he DNF'd he went out on lap three I don't know if there was a crash I was not watching him full disclosure I was watching the battle for the lead that Anderson Roxon thing that we'll get into was crazy so I didn't see Plessinger go out of the race. So that's my bad. Um, I'm sure we will get more information. Maybe it's out there on Instagram or whatever, but I didn't have any reason or the, the justification for why AP went out. I still have him at 10 because I think he's riding really well. He still looks good, and I think he deserves to be in the top 10 in this class. Number nine, I have Marvin, and I still don't know what to do with Marvin. I, I don't know how I feel. And, and I'm really, as you can tell in my voice, I'm unsure of what to make of this because San Diego was one of the weirdest performances I've ever seen out of him. Then this weekend, he looked really fast, even though the whoops were a complete liability for him. He was riding really well in the afternoon and then he looked pretty good in the heat race. And then in the main event, he starts sixth, kind of gets bounced around a little bit and then ends up sixth. So I think ninth is fair. 
if you wanted to make an argument and say he should be six or seven, I guess I could go along with it, but I would ask what you're going to do with the guys that are ahead of him because I just can't see him being better than them overall. I don't, I don't think there's a, a, a case for them that makes sense to have him ahead of some of these guys. And at number eight, I have Mookie. It would be understandable if you put Marvin ahead of Mookie because Marvin has been bouncing around up inside that top five quite a bit, but I have not seen Mookie get pushed back to 10th like we saw Marvin do at San Diego. And that was my final, the, the final mark of uh, demarcation there is I don't think you see Mookie just get shoved around like we did, we saw Marvin. I mean, Mar- Marvin really did get pushed around, for lack of a better term, in San Diego. On the, you know, if you're making a, a case for Mookie being behind him, you would say, well, Mookie was second. He had everything in front of him, every opportunity to finish well, to get his first podium, to battle for that first win in Ana- at Anaheim too, and he wasn't able to do it. He got pushed backwards. He got passed straight up. And, and that's fair. That is a absolutely valid argument to make about Mookie's Anaheim 2 race. I didn't expect it. I really thought he would be in the mix. You know, when, when Anderson and Roxon got together and then you see Mookie second, I think everybody in the stadium and at home watching on TV are like, oh man, what's Mookie got here? You know, this is the chance. If you want your opportunity, if you've been waiting for Mookie to get to the front and show everybody what he has in the tank, that was it. That was the time. And he just wasn't able to do it, right? Not only was he not able to go do anything with Anderson, he wasn't able to hold off, you know, Eli Tomac either. He wasn't able to hold off Dylan Ferrandez. And he wasn't able to, uh, why am I drawing a blank? He wasn't able to hold off Chase Sexton. So I don't think it was, you know, any sort of panic. Like it wasn't plane crash into the mountain, you know, catastrophe type ride. I was just a little disappointed in Mookie not being able to capitalize on the opportunity because that's what everybody's been waiting for. We've all been looking and, and saying, this is the, he just needs to start. He just needs to get up front. He just needs to have that opportunity to kind of uncork it. You know, it, uh, I don't know where that saying comes from. I guess, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think where that cliche would come from. But you hear that, like, just when you get that chance, right, is he going to just go for broke and make it happen when he sees the lead right in front of him and he, and he just wasn't able to. And I would rather see him take what's there. And, and if you don't have it and you're not feeling it, don't crash your brains out. That's what Mookie used to do. And I think he has eradicated that from his game. But I did want to see him maybe push the envelope a little bit and get up there and see if he could challenge for the lead and just wasn't able to. At number seven, I have Justin Barsha. And kind of a ho-hum night for Barsha. Um, really nothing to write home about. No real headlines. Um, you know, the starts weren't great. I thought the pace was okay. You know, it wasn't bad. He was able to move forward. He, he was pressuring Webb, and that's why Webb ended up going down. He was all over him. But it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the January Cooper Webb battling for the win type ride. And uh, that's what you really want to see from Webb. You want to see that prototypical hole shot and be all over everybody giving them hell and a a fight for the front that that's not really what we saw on Saturday so not terrible but also not great from Barsha Dylan Fernandez he goes from 
I think like 14th at the beginning of the race. And, you know, that's been the story of Dylan Fernandez is bad starts. He just cannot consistently get a good start. Now, San Diego was better. I get it. But this is what I really expected to see was he's going to get a start because if you, you give him enough chances, he's going to get one right. But consistently, it's not going to be there. And those, those times where it's not there is what's really going to hurt him. And those are what eliminate him from any sort of serious championship contention. You can't start outside the top 10, you know, 75% of the time and expect to win or expect to battle for podiums, right? And that 25% of the time when you start fifth or sixth or third, great. Sky's the limit. Go win the race. Go, you know, get after it. Be on the podium. That's not going to be good enough to beat Webb, Tomac, whoever you think is going to win this championship, Anderson, because those guys have, they're on their game. They have all of the details ironed out. Maybe not Webb. I get it. You know, everybody hold your horses. Webb's not quite there yet, but these other guys are. And you're going to give away too many points to those guys, and you're going to wake up just like I, I kind of saw coming. And I, I, don't, I don't pretend to know everything, right? I, I just have seen the way these trends go, and I know how it happens, and it sneaks up on you. You're Dylan Ferrandez. You're riding as good or better than anybody. You can win races. The starts aren't there. You don't get the results. And then you wake up and it's the first weekend in February, you've, you've gotten out of January, you're healthy, you're riding well, oh, but you're a full race down in points because you've given up you know, five, seven points a weekend, week in and week out to these guys, and then you're already out of it. You, know? you're, you have three, four, five guys ahead of you in points, and you're a full race down. And it's not like you've had a terrible series. You're actually riding incredibly well, it's just the starts and it's, it's, you know, those fifth place finishes, those seventh place finishes that kill you because you weren't able to pass. You got to a track where passing just wasn't possible, you know, to get, to get past the elite of the sport. By the time you got to, to sixth, the top five were gone. And that's kind of what happened in Oakland. Uh, was it Oakland? I believe it was Oakland. Um, it's just what happens. You get up there and then the guys are gone and you can't do anything about it because you were in 11th for the first five laps in a war on a track that was pretty easy. So got off topic a little bit, but I, that's just kind of how I see this going with Ferrandis. Good races and you're going to be like, man, why is he not winning more? But then the next weekend he'll get a bad start and get fifth and he'll give up 10 points to the leaders and that then you'll remind yourself of why. Fifth place, Chase Sexton. And I thought it was a good race for Sexton. You know, it wasn't the dominant performance that we saw in San Diego, but I think these are the kind of rides he needs to put in. You can't expect to win every race. That's just not a fair expectation in this class with this much talent and everybody's pretty healthy. But I think on those nights where the start's not perfect, but you're riding really well, take a third, right? Take third place. That's a really solid night. It builds points. It gets you into the championship fight long-term, and it's going to even out some of the variance that some of these other guys are going to have, right? It's going to get you ahead of Ferrandis. You know, if Tomac has a bad night, he has a weirdo ride, it's going to put you into the conversation. That's really what you want to be. You get your wins when they're there, right? You win the San Diego round. But if everything doesn't line up perfectly, 
You don't crash or get taken out like Roxon did. You take the third, you take the 21 points, and you move on. And that's what Sexton has been missing in the past. He has not been able to do that. His off nights were a ninth or a last, right? He would crash out in DNF. That's what Sexton has been in the past. So if this third place type finish is the off night, right? If that's the night where everything doesn't go perfectly, then you're going to see Sexton in championship conversations moving forward. And I think that's where it's going to. I don't know if it's this year. I kind of think it's 2023 is when we really see that, but maybe it is. Maybe this is the start of something in Sexton. You know, we're talking about Sexton in April as a championship contender. You know, time will tell, but I really like what I'm seeing from Chase Sexton. Number four, I have Ken Roxon. And oh boy, man, what, uh, what do you even say? I mean, he got his clock cleaned, period. He got absolutely taken out by Jason Anderson. There's no other way to put it. He just got taken out. And, you know, Jason Anderson fans or guys that are akin to rough riding are just going to say, well, you can't go outside. If you go outside in this class, you're going to get taken out. I understand. I get it. I understand that line of thinking. I'm not saying that's wrong. Not necessarily what I subscribe to. It's not how I approach it. I think Anderson was pretty far out of line there. I don't think if you're Jason Anderson that you can take that line and expect anything other than what you got. And if you're Jason Anderson and you are okay with, I'm going in here, I'm going in to make contact, and somebody's probably either going down or getting knocked off the track, and that's I'm good with that, then no problem. But I've seen Instagram comments I've seen people saying, it's fine, it's just racing, no problem. I'm not saying it's the dirtiest thing I've ever seen, but I'm also saying, pretty dirty, right? And the AMA didn't have him in the semi for an hour talking to him because they thought it was totally fine. You know, so that's what I would push back and say is, if everybody thought it was totally cool, he wouldn't have been stuck in the AMA truck for an, over an hour. And so just... Let's just go there and I will let that be my evidence. If you don't believe me and you don't care about my opinion, no problem. You can disagree. I'm good. But the AMA, and clearly, I would say American Honda, disagree with you. They don't think that was cool. They don't think that was okay. Even Anderson on the podium said, that's my bad, right? He, he stepped over the line. So that's where I would go, right? If Anderson... If Anderson truly thought nothing wrong, like I was good, that pass, I would do it 10 times out of 10, he wouldn't have said anything. He would have not even acknowledged it. He would have said, yeah, I had to get aggressive. I had to make a move, right? And that, I think, was part of my qualm with the pass was I I just felt like it was rushed because I think Anderson knew he had the pace on on Roxon. I think he knew he, he closed in on him. And I think he knew he was going to get by him. I just don't think he had to get that aggressive. Like, you don't have to go in and make full contact where Roxon's already committed. Because Roxon going to that outside, he's wide open coming out of the sand. Like, he doesn't even know Anderson's coming up the inside there because Anderson is not going to really be on the gas. He's going to kind of be coasting through that inside or barely on the gas anyway. So it totally caught Roxon by surprise in a section where he is wide open. Like full throttle, full noise coming out of there. So when Anderson makes contact with his bars and you're wide open, 
bad things are going to happen. Like you just rip somebody's hand, you know, handlebars out of their hand while they're wide open trying to accelerate. Yeah. That bike's going to shoot out from under you and, and really bad things are going to happen very quickly. And that's what you saw. So I didn't love it. I'm not going to sit here and condemn Jason Anderson. He's a big boy. He makes his own decisions. I still don't think riding like that has a great ending. I think to win championships, you don't necessarily have to have everybody be your friend, but you certainly don't want enemies. You don't want people looking at you going, yeah, I owe him one, right? If you're Kenny, I'm pretty sure Kenny's looking at Anderson going, I owe you one, dude. Whenever it's your turn and, and it's something important on the line, guess what? Guess who's going to owe you one and maybe run you off the track or put you over a berm at exactly the wrong time. That's what you don't want if you are Jason Anderson. I don't think he cares. I just think that's who Jason Anderson is. I don't think he, it, you know, if I was telling that to his face, he'd be like, dude, I don't care. That's fine. Whatever. Bring it on. Right. I, I just think that's how Jason Anderson approaches racing. And if you're going to do stuff like that, then I think that's the approach you should have. You know, when Barsha knocked him down, he did the team fried thing. I actually appreciate that approach, because if you're going to dish it out, you have to be able to take it. And I think Jason Anderson does a really good job of that. So in the end, not a great move. I don't think it was advisable. I certainly would, would advise him to do it a different way than that. But hey, man, that's, <laughs> it certainly was the most uh, entertaining incident of the night. So I will say on an entertainment level, uh, it was great. On a racing level, and if you're you know, if you're any sort of Ken Roxon fan or thinking that Ken Roxon deserved a little better, you probably didn't love it. Number three, speaking of that, I have Jason Anderson and all of that, all of those things I just talked about with him. If you remove all that and you're just talking about how well he's riding, I mean, the dude is just lights out right now. He looks so damn good on the motorcycle. And I don't know if it's gelling with the Kawasaki. I don't know if he ramped up his preparation compared to what he's been doing in the past few years. I don't know if he's just taking it more seriously or if it's a combination of all of those things, but it kind of doesn't matter, man. He looks great. This, I would argue that he looks better than he did in 2018. You know, I think, you know, Tom, Eli Tomac had all kinds of problems in 2018. So factor that in, you know, Cooper Webb wasn't even, he wasn't even a shell of what he was in 2019 and 2020 and 2021. So remove, you know, he was removed from that picture. You know, Marvin Muscan was good too, but I, I don't consider Marvin Muscan a, a supercross specialist by any means. So comparatively, Jason Anderson 2018, who was your champion, to Jason Anderson 2022 that I'm watching right now, I think 2022 is better. I think Jason Anderson four years later is a better rider and looks better on the motorcycle. And I think he would beat that guy. 2022, Jason Anderson would beat 2018 Jason Anderson. That is my official opinion. So good for him. He looks phenomenal out there. Number two, Cooper Webb and, and not a good night for Webb crashes, which he doesn't really do. Didn't really have the pace. Otherwise, uh, I don't have a lot of great things to say about Cooper Webb's day or night. Uh, I still have my number two cause I, he's still my title pick. But that wasn't good. He needs to sort that out. Um, I know they tested a lot this week. The KTM Brass was in California at the test track watching these guys ride. And I don't think they could have been thrilled with that result by any means. So 
I don't know what to make of it. I know the whoops are still a problem as much as they tested and the bike was uh, seemingly helping. He still, it's still a liability. It's still his weakest aspect without question. So I don't know where they go from here other than you just stay the course and you, you know, continue to do what you're doing and keep working and just rely on the knowledge that the whoops are going to get easier. You're going to go east pretty soon, a couple more weeks, and then the whoops get smaller. You can jump through them. They're not such a critical aspect of racing. And this has been the plan all along. He just wants to be within reach. And I'm, I'm pretty sure he had a goal of being in within like 10 points of the lead. And he was only one point out going to the weekend. It's more like 10 now. I don't have it right in front of me, but it's probably more like 10 after Tomac won that race. So Glendale will be critical. You come back to Anaheim. He needs to, he needs to bounce back. I think that's really important. You don't want to back up a bad race with, with two more bad ones. And Glendale will be tough. Make no mistake. You know, Glendale is historically a great race for Eli Tomac. So if Eli Tomac wins another one, that's a dangerous situation for the likes of Cooper Webb and, and really everyone else. But my pick for this title has been Cooper Webb, and that's not something you want to see. You don't want to give Eli Tomac a ton of momentum and a ton of confidence this early in the year. So that's something to watch for. Uh, Webb needs to get on track and have a really good Glendale and try to have a really good uh, Anaheim 3 as well. Number one, as you could probably imagine, is Eli Tomac. And what a dominant night, man. That was the best I've seen him ride in a really long time. And I don't know what to attribute it to. I mean, this is the best January he's ever had, bar none, period. So is it the bike? Is it him? Is it a combination of both where he's excited about a new bike and, you know, reinvigorated about the change? And it could just be a change of scenery that has got him excited and really changed his perspective. A lot of times it's a combination of all of those things that just creates a better situation. You could say the same thing for Jason Anderson. I don't think the Kawasaki is just light years better than the Husky. I really don't. I think that it's a change of scenery. It got Jason Anderson excited. The same thing for Eli Tomac. They saw it as a really nice opportunity to, you know, kind of just breathe fresh air into their program and into everything around them. And that can be all the difference sometimes. So that's kind of where I come down on Eli Tomac is he's just happy, happier. You know, he's got a Gilly, his suspension guy back. It seems like he's got more control over the things he wants to do with the motorcycle. And for a night at Anaheim 2, everything seemed right in the world for Eli Tomac. So we'll see. As I mentioned, Glendale is historically a fantastic race for Eli Tomac. And he has a, he has a real opportunity to gain momentum and take control of this series. And it seems crazy to say, you know, five or six rounds in that he has control of the series. But that's what's in front of him. That's the, that's the chance here that he has. I don't necessarily think it's going to go that way. Um, I think you're going to see a little bit more variance because I think his starts are a little bit too suspect. But uh, the door's open. If, if you're Eli Tomac and you wanted an opportunity to go get this thing and really control it before halfway, the door is wide open for you. So we'll see how he responds. We'll see if he... Uh, if he takes advantage of this, this really, really key chance this early in the season. 
So that's your top 10. That's the power rankings. And that's the first time Eli Tomac's been at the top for a very long time. Very long time. And, uh, you know, I, I know nobody else cares about the power ranks, but I take them seriously. I like to have really strong trends and reasons. And I, you know, to move Webb off of one took a lot, but he hasn't looked good lately. And I think it's deserved. You know, if, if Webb goes out and wins next week, he's going right back to the top, I promise you. But I thought moving him off of the top spot was, uh, was deserved for now. Uh, we want to do the ProGlow question of the week. And I kind of perused some questions that I had out there. And uh, the one that I landed on, let's go to it. So he, this gentleman, uh, Michael Harder, wrote several questions. And I just chose one out of there. And I kind of summarized and paraphrased a bunch of them to create one. And he's asking about uh, Supercross gearing and transmission ratios and kind of how that all works. And he's really in detail about can they change the transmissions? How do they adjust their, their front and rear sprockets accordingly, according to the track? You know, when you change the transmission ratio, does that a change? You know, how do they then correspondingly change the sprockets to make all of that work? And it's a really tricky process, right? And for starters, only the factory guys have access to transmissions with different ratios. And I would have killed for this. If you could have asked me what is the number one thing you would have asked for to make your bike better, I would have said a factory engine. But within that engine, I would have said a factory transmission with a longer first gear. And for me personally, I wasn't great at slipping the clutch in like second gear to like do a really difficult seat bounce triple out of a corner. And that's a part of every race that you see that every single weekend guys are seat bouncing triples out of corners. And I wasn't good at it. Like second gear would kind of be lugging and those guys are slipping second gear all the way out of the corner and then seat bouncing a really difficult three. A lot of those times, a lot of those guys like Brayton, that's one of his big asks. He wants a factory transmission because he can put it into first gear and that ratio is adjusted in the factory transmission where first gear is much longer. So instead of having to slip second gear, he can put it in first and hold it wide open and first will not wind out so quickly, right? So instead of that crazy high RPM where you're not getting any more drive, first gear is now longer and he can have so much more possible drive out of first gear and he can triple up super easy. And I would have just killed for that. I've ridden factory motorcycles with it. Chad Reed's 450 had it, and I, I was just like, this is, this is cheating. Like, this isn't even fair. Not technically cheating, but it's not even fair how much better it is. So that's one, that's one thing they do, and it's a huge, huge advantage to have a longer first gear. Now, the other stuff, you know, they can move stuff around. They can adjust things. They can make, you know, third gear a little shorter or whatever. They can do all, you know, sky's the limit on how they want to adjust all that stuff. But the longer first gear is, is the one that you see for Supercross that's, that's mandatory. The, the rear sprocket gearing and front two, uh, you see guys messing around a little bit with that as well. Now, one thing that was really popular when I was racing, and I don't know if they do this as often, is they will run a, a larger front sprocket because on the starts, it makes uh, the transition. Like when you dump the clutch, it gives the, the, the front sprocket being bigger, creates a smoother clutch release. And I don't know the mechanics of it, the engineering side of it, but guys would always want to 
adjust their ratio to run a small or a larger front, which would also force you to run a larger rear to keep the ratio the same, which sounds counterintuitive, but that's how it works. Like they would run like a 1554 instead of a 1450, right? Or whatever the ratio, I think it's like three and a half teeth. One tooth on the front equates to three and a half teeth on the back. So the ratio is, is the same, but if you go up on the front, you also have to go up on the back. But that bigger front sprocket, when you dump the clutch, it's less, uh, like you don't want to get that wheelie, you want it to be a gradual release, and that bigger front sprocket creates a more controlled exit from the gate. And that's, that's the mo- I guess, the easiest way I can put it. So you see that guys doing that quite a bit as well going up on the front, then they have to go up on the rear. Then they have to modify the chain guide. They have to cut it or make it make their own because that huge rear sprocket, if guys are running a 53, 54, even 55 rear sprocket, uh, yeah, a stock chain guide isn't built for a 55, right? So the factory teams will then mold their own chain guide, uh, the rubber part of it as well, and even the, uh, the metal part. So you get some of that that has to be modified. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot that goes on, man. Gearing is not, you know, it's not a sexy thing to talk about, the transmission ratios and the gearing and all that, but it's, it's a huge part of the testing process. And there's a lot of different ways to manipulate that because one change, you change the transmission, then the gearing is all different, right? So every little change you make back and forth has unintended consequences that you have to, uh, that you have to adjust for. So Great question, Michael. I will uh, I'll email you um, with uh, your ProGlow prize, and they will, uh, they'll send you the prize. And, and continue to send those prizes in. We're going to give away a set of tires. We'll give away some fly, fly racing products, and we'll continue to do the ProGlow uh, prize pack of the week. And, yeah, so that's it for this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks to all the sponsors. We are off to Glendale next weekend. And Triple Crown, first Triple Crown of the year. For those of you who have never been to this race, it is a good one. It is uh, one of the best. Uh, the floor is gigantic, so it makes for a really big racetrack. The, the pits and the weather and everything about this race is, is great. Plus, if you've never been to a Triple Crown, to me, they're the best format of the year. I know the riders don't like them. That's okay. That doesn't really affect me. Entertainment level is great. So I'm, I'm all here for the Triple Crown. Uh, if you want to, any more information on the VIP stuff, I've been doing that. It's definitely not as big of a program as we've done in the past, but you can reach out to me for questions on that. Check out the Patreon podcast uh, every Saturday morning. So it's a preview of what I expect to see. You know, I watch press day. I check out the track map, give you my thoughts on what we could likely see for fantasy, which was a absolute disaster for me last weekend. But, you know, I've been going to these races for 25 years and uh, have some insight based off of, yeah, the dirt context. Um, Yeah, guys have good weeks, bad weeks, all the rumor mill, all that stuff I touch on. It's, you know, 15, 20, 25 minutes on Saturday mornings. It does cost a little bit as, you know, all the Patreon stuff out there does. But uh, it's just something fun that I've started doing last year. And, and, uh, yeah, I really like doing a Saturday morning. It's kind of my last minute thoughts before we get going. So check that out. Otherwise, we will see you next Sunday. Thanks again. See ya.